Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you, Holy Trinity. We thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness. You fashioned us and knew us in our mother's wombs. You hem us in behind and before and lay your hand upon us. Your face is shining upon us. We do look forward to Jesus' return, but we're not there yet. We pray for families in our church grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray for those battling cancer and their families. We particularly lift up children. Barbara and Richard Thompson's granddaughter, Hollis, as she starts chemotherapy today in preparation for a stem cell transplant eight days from now. We pray that you would keep her safe through this process and heal her completely. We pray for all three children of Lucas and Leah Fitz who are sick, particularly her son Luke, who has been in ICU this weekend for issues related to his asthma. We pray that for healing for them all, we pray that you would help all the caregivers use their minds, hearts, and hands um, to care for these with skill and diligence and, and compassion. Father, we pray for every moment of this, our missions festival. Holy Spirit, we praise your work in every mind and heart. We pray in this season of Lent that you would reveal to us all the vain things that charm us way too much and help us to see the majesty, power, and beauty of King Jesus. You have given us the very best ways to live in your word. Help us to live that way more. We pray for our brothers and sisters here as our missionary guests. We pray that this would be a time of refreshing for them. Help our CovPress family befriend them in deeper ways. We really pray um, for the outreach um, foundation that we just heard about and for the connection of believers, uh, Muslim believers around the world with those of us who are currently largely disconnected from them, that you would bless that, that we would have friendships and uh, caring um, between those of us who know very little about what has happened, but as we go forward, that we enjoy rich fellowship at scale uh, together. So again, we thank you for your incredible care for us. We pray that you would um, tune our hearts and minds into the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, it is a great honor uh, to introduce our Missions Festival speaker to you. This year, we're privileged to have Dr. Richard Pratt as our guest preacher. Dr. Pratt is a longtime and beloved 
seminary professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. He's an author, a speaker, and he's the founder and president of Third Mill. You'll get to hear a little bit more about Third Mill, but in a nutshell, their goal is to provide biblical education for the world for free. <laughs> I love that. Biblical education for the world for free. Uh, and we're going to get to hear about how he's doing that through print, multimedia, seminary, all sorts of different ways. Uh, please go by their booth and learn more about their ministry or go by their display and learn more about that. But lastly, I want to tell you it's a privilege for me to introduce Dr. Pratt to you because I studied under him at Reformed Theological Seminary. And he is a man to whom I personally owe so much. He's been a mentor to me. He had a deep impact on all the friends that I went to seminary with. And Dr. Pratt taught me really how to pray. He's got a wonderful book on prayer. He, he challenged us to think. And in all of it, he pushed us to love Jesus. So I'm personally indebted to him and so thankful you can be our spe speaker today. So please come preach the word to us. Good morning, everyone. I am glad to be with you. Uh, you'll notice that I'm going to change the passage. That's a privilege that guest speakers have. So if you're relying on your bulletin to follow along, you'll be lost. So you'll want to get a Bible out, and I'll give you a moment to do that. And there's one right in front of you, or your phone, or whatever it may be, and turn to the first chapter of Romans. But while you're turning there to the first chapter of Romans, let me just say it's a privilege to be with you. I've been to your church a number of times in the past, and it's good to see old friends. And I'm especially excited for this church that I don't know a lot of you. That's a great thing. It's always good to be able to stand up in front of a church five, ten years later and say, wow, I don't know half your congregation. That's a fantastic thing. And God is blessing you, and you should rejoice in that and be glad. Did I hear a whisper of an amen on that one? Yeah, I think you should be really glad. Thank God for his mercies, that's for sure. Romans chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 14. This is a fantastic passage. If you've been around Christianity much, you've heard parts of it before. But we're going to try to take a look at the whole thing here. Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 1. Hear now the word of our God. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bow before you, having heard these words that Holy Spirit inspired your apostle to write thousands of years ago. They are precious to us even today. We call no one our teacher but you. We trust no one like we trust you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. 
And so we're praying now that you will send your spirit to us. May he fill every heart in this room so that we may know your truth and be set free. And as you do that, we will bless you and we will give you all the praise for it. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have a very long list of things I have to do. Anybody else have a long list of things to do? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, as you think about the list of things that are in your life, I suspect that, well, just about everybody has certain things that the thought of what they've got to do at that moment during the day, you just hate it. You hate the thought of it, like getting a tooth pulled or something like that. There is a long list of things that you could sort of say, I don't like that idea. I dread it. And so my assistant in the office has to put those in red so I won't skip over them. How about that? Those are things that Richard hates. So you don't want to look and see if your name is red in my calendar. (laughs) Then there are those things that we're sort of indifferent to, right? We're sort of neutral about it. Not that big of a deal one way or the other, but I got to go and I got to do it. So yeah, I can do that. But then there are things that you just love so much. I mean, the thought of it is just so compelling that you're eager to do it and you can't wait and you're anticipating the activity that's coming, perhaps days, even weeks ahead of time, like a, like a vacation, for example. A lot of you will go on a trip this year and you'll be thinking about it long ahead of time. You'll be preparing for it. You'll be ready to go. I'm eager. I'm eager. Let's go. Let's go. Well, this is a missions conference. And if you knew that this was a missions conference this week, that we were going to focus on the mission of the church, and you came anyway, you're a brave soul. Because some of you walked in here just sort of going, I hate missions week at this church. I just, I really don't like it. They got weird people coming in. Those regular Sunday school teachers not teaching. You know, and who knows who they're going to bring to preach. Might even be somebody named Sasan or something like that. You just don't know what to think about such a thing as that. And then you may have be sort of indifferent to it. Well, it's just going to church. I take a nap in, during church anyway, so not that big of a deal. But then some of you, I hope, perhaps it will take the end of the hour today, but I hope that this week you will develop what we might call an eagerness for the mission. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not sure where you stand with him, let, let me, I know you've probably heard of missionaries before, you know, the do-gooders that go out there and do good things around the world and that sort of thing. But let me just tell you what this mission thing is all about. I try to put it in a nutshell. When Jesus was on this planet thousands of years ago, he looked at his disciples and had in mind all the disciples that would follow generation after generation, and he put them on a mission. He gave them a mission. And it's one that we share with each other. And We could put it very simply this way. The mission is to do everything that we can do to make sure that the world hears about him. That's our mission. And so Christians are all about this mission. We're going somewhere. We're doing something. It's a high calling. It's a vocation. It's a destiny that we all have in mind. And on weeks like these, churches will focus attention, especially on that part of the mission of getting the word of Jesus out to the world and we'll try to renew ourselves and our energy for it and understand it more deeply and commit ourselves more faithfully to fulfilling that mission that if you're not a follower of Christ that's why we're doing this but I hope you'll keep listening 
Maybe you're, you don't feel like you are on that mission. But give it a shot here this morning and try to track along with us because, well, it's really important to us. And we hope it can become important to you too. In this passage, in verse 14, the Apostle Paul said that he was eager to go to Rome. Well, who wouldn't be? Right? I mean, if you went home this afternoon and you found tickets to somebody had given you to fly to Rome, you'd be excited. You'd be eager to go. I got to wait a week before I can do it. You'd run over there and you'd get on the bus and throw some coins in a fountain and then you'd jump on the bus and go somewhere else and then you'd fly back home. It'd be a great vacation to go to Rome. A lot better than going to Israel today. I can tell you that. Okay. It's, it's a great, a great vacation to go to Rome. But that's not the way it was in Paul's day, and that's not why he was eager. In the Apostle Paul's day, Rome was ruled, you've heard his name before, by a Caesar. And Rome was not just a city. Rome was really an empire. Um, uh, for all practical purposes, a worldwide empire. They had their king, the Caesar. And he was the head of all things. He was called, he was called their savior. He was called their Lord. Many of the titles that Christians use for Jesus were attributed to Caesar. He was the king of the whole world. And more than that, they had this enormous kingdom that they thought was the center of civilization. It got rid of piracy on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a fabulous empire. Okay, so they had a lot invested in this. But here's the Apostle Paul. Hmm. he's got a different king and his name is Jesus of Nazareth and he's got a different kingdom that he serves not the kingdom of Rome but the kingdom of God and he had no king no king at all except King Jesus and he had no kingdom except the kingdom of God and he came, as he says in verse 14, to announce or to preach about the good news. And the good news for Christians was, we know the true king of the world. His name is Jesus. And he rules over a kingdom that will conquer every other kingdom. It will bring about a world of peace and harmony and newness that will be absolutely astonishing. And Rome is nothing by comparison at all. In fact, one day he will crush Rome. Now imagine walking into Rome with that message in mind. What could you anticipate? A lot of resistance, a lot of trouble, burn in jail, maybe executed. It certainly wasn't going to be a happy vacation and throwing a couple of coins into a fountain. No, the Apostle Paul was going to Rome to deliver that kind of message. Here's the true king. Here's the true kingdom. But he says, I'm not doing this. I hate the thought of it, but I'll go ahead. I'm not neutral about it. He says, I'm eager to come to Rome to share the gospel or the good news of the great king and his kingdom. Tells us something 
about the way we should be feeling about this thing that we're calling the mission, a missions conference, in fact. Rather than it being something you might hate or feel neutral about, uh, this is it. This is it. This is what our lives are about, talking about the king and talking about his kingdom, proclaiming who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do. And we should be eager to have that be a major part of our lives. So that's why we have a missions conference like this, to encourage each other, to see what's happening out there and to encourage each other. It really is happening. It's actually happening. As we continue on with me during the next couple of days here, um, I'm going to be talking to you about how great this kingdom is already, but it's nothing compared to what it's going to be someday. This is something to get very excited about. Even Presbyterians can get a little excited about it. And you'll notice in verse 16, verse 16, the one that we know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, that the apostle rejects the idea that this is something to be ashamed of or this is something to be hesitant about. But let's, let's just admit it to each other. This mission of letting other people know about Jesus, sometimes we are a little bit ashamed of it. You know how difficult it is sometimes when you know that the Lord has opened a door for you to let someone know what you believe. I mean, circumstances are just right. They've said something to you or you said something to them and you know the next step is for you to say, and you know why I believe that? It's because I believe in Jesus as the king of the world. And you hesitate. And you just don't say it. You know how that happens. I do too. I mean, you're standing in the line at the store and you notice the cashier that's up there who's been beaten up all day and your turn is coming and, you know, that everybody else has mistreated her, but you're determined you're going to not to mistreat her, but rather you're going to be a blessing to her. And you get up there and you lose heart and you just treat her like everybody else did. Maybe you smile. That's a good start. Because maybe next time you can actually tell her a little bit of good news about the king and his kingdom. But you also know that this happens in our neighborhoods in large part because more and more our neighborhoods are filled with people that we don't know. They're not like us. They don't talk like us. Don't look like us. They have different values. You never know for sure what's going to be offensive, what's not going to be offensive. So what's the easy thing to do? Just not say anything. And I find myself, even from time to time, and I'm sure you have too in Alabama, just like in Florida where I live, occasionally someone in public will say, have a blessed day. And you go, what? Rather than the natural and good response being, you have a blessed day too. Uh Uh-uh, you have a blessed day. No, 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 you have the blessed day. You have the blessed day. I'm blessing you. No, I'm blessing you. Because, you know, religious talk like that just doesn't come naturally to us, does it? It's time to hear what the Apostle Paul says. There's plenty of reasons not to be energized and not to be enthusiastic about this mission. But he was eager. And we are to be also looking for the opportunities.
Now, you've seen some of your missionaries up here. Just imagine their lives. One of the ways you can show your eagerness about the good news of the king and his kingdom is by your prayers for them. Make them real prayers because they face huge challenges and they need your prayers so much. And also, I can say this because I'm from the outside, to support them with your funds. Even from the days of the New Testament, it was the custom for missionaries who would travel away from home to be supported by those that didn't travel away from home. They're giving up so much. Part of your eagerness for the kingdom of God and the good news about our king is that we support our missionaries. And we do it with joy and with pleasure. So I don't know what's on TV tonight, but I can tell you this. We should be more eager to hear more about the mission. So come on out, have dinner. It won't be all that bad. In fact, it'll probably be pretty good. And you might actually be blessed with more energy and more life for this thing called the mission. Now, it's weird to think of Paul knowing that he was going to Rome where he could be arrested, where all kinds of things could happen to him that would be bad, say, I'm eager to go there. In fact, he says, I was hindered to go. I try, I've tried, but I just couldn't make it. But now I'm going, I'm doing it. It's going to be great. But we can find in this passage why he was so eager. He says again in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why not, Paul? Why aren't you ashamed of it? I mean, you're not the only one with some good news. How come you think yours is so special, especially when people will reject you so very often? Why don't you feel a little bit of shame about the gospel? And this is what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now think about that for a minute. Basically, he's saying this. I know something, we know something as followers of Jesus that the people around us don't know. It's sort of a secret. And it's this, that the simple story about Jesus, the simple story that a child can understand and believe, the simple story about our king and his great kingdom, it's got power in it. Now, we all know that stories and things that we say to people have a lot of power. I mean, just an ordinary human conversation. Someone insults you and it hurts your feelings. That's power being exerted over you. Sometimes it's horrendous power, but it's power nonetheless. Uh, if somebody praises you, makes you feel good, at least for a minute or two, well, that's power. That's the power of talk. It's the power of human language. But the apostle's not talking about ordinary human talk here. He says, when you talk about Jesus, the king, and about his kingdom, it's got the power of God in it. The power of God in it. I mean, think about that for a moment. The power of the one who made everything. This vast universe we're a part of. That kind of power in it. The power of the one who sustains all the whole thing. It's just amazing to think about that. All of that is down in this story about the king. All of that is in this story about his kingdom. It's got that kind of power. And that's what he's saying is true. And you know why? Because he had seen it work. 
This is not the kind of power that just makes nice people become a little bit nicer. It's not the kind of power that makes people that ought to be in your club now a part of your club too. This is the kind of power that brings, well, what he says here, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So what does a person have to do to experience the power, the transforming power of God in their lives? Simply believe it. Simply believe that Jesus is the king of the universe and that his kingdom is victorious. Accept the good news and it will have a transformative effect on your life to the point that we will even call it being born again, starting over. That's the kind of power it has. Now, maybe it's been a while since you've experienced that power in your own life or you've seen it in someone else. I mean, that's what unfortunately happens when we hold back and don't talk to others. When we don't treat people with the honor of letting them know what we believe about Jesus, very often then we don't get to experience the wonder of the power of God transforming people's lives. But I can tell you this, In a church like this one, if you had one, two, three, four people come to Christ close to each other in time, it would change this whole church. Because you would see people's lives just radically transformed right before your eyes. I can't believe what's happened. It's the power of God. There's no other explanation. I know there are people here today who wish that you could start over. I know it. A group this size, there's got to be someone who says, I wish I could start it all over again because I've really messed up this thing called my life. You need some power, and it's not inside of you no matter what the world may tell you. You don't have that power inside of you. But you can have the power to do it because the power of God comes to those who believe in Jesus. It's the power of the one who made everything. I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. In Southwest Virginia. And before I became a believer at the age of 17, I was a fairly ordinary teenage young man, okay? Around the age of 16 years old. When I became a Christian, I had hair down to here and things like that. So I was not so ordinary. But before that, I was pretty ordinary. And one of the things we would do is we would stand in our parking lot and we would watch to see what kinds of cars teachers and students would drive into our parking lot. And on the basis of the kind of car they drove, we would decide what kind of person they were. So if you drove a really new and fancy car, then you were a good person. If you drove a junk, a heap, a wreck, then you were a worthless human being. That was our world. It all depended on what kind of car you drive. And I can remember a young man new to our school who one day drove in a car to our parking lot it was so old, you wouldn't have believed it. I mean, it had bumps all over it, had rust on it. The, the headlights were cockeyed, all kinds of things. But he came on into our school because he didn't understand that this meant that he was a worthless human being. You got it? He didn't understand he was being judged. We watched him pull in, and instead of hiding down behind the steering wheel like this in shame, he had his arm up in the window. He looked at us and said, hey, y'all, how's it going? And he drove on in and went to class like nothing was wrong. Well, we were determined on Friday night to let him know something was wrong. 
And so a lot of us would go up and down this highway in Roanoke, Virginia. Some of you are probably know Roanoke. It's Williamson Road. It was a six-lane road way back in 1902, I think, when I was a teenager. And so we would go up and down that road, stop at a traffic light, and do this, like that. And you would listen to see if the car next to you did the same thing. Now, you didn't look because it might be your mother, okay? But you could listen. And if they gunned their engine too, you knew you had a race to the next light. Anybody else in this room ever done that kind of thing? That's the kind of foolishness I did when I was about 16 years old. Okay, a lot of us found Scott and his hick wreck, and we raced him that night, that Friday night. We looked for him. We found him. We were going to show him what a worthless human being he was. And he beat every single one of us, hands down. We just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was like we were in total shock. So later on that evening at the hamburger place, yeah, I know, sounds like the movie, but it's real. Okay, happy days are here again, okay? There it is, okay? We're in the, we're in the hamburger place, and we're hanging out with the girls, of course, and here comes Scott in his hick wreck, and he parks the car. He doesn't say a word. He just gets out and walks around to the front of his car and lifts the hood, and it stands there like this. He didn't say anything to us, but we were curious as to why he wasn't deeply shamed, and so we walked over to his car, and we looked in under the hood. And we realized something, that Scott didn't care what his car looked like on the outside, but he was a master mechanic, and he had rebuilt the engine of that car from the ground up with every four-barrel four magnum, this, that, and the other that you used to put on cars in the old days to make them racing machines, and he had turned that car into a racing machine. And now we all understood why Scott was not ashamed of his car. It was because he knew something we didn't know. His car had power under the hood. If you know Christ, then you know that the story of your king... And his kingdom has the power of God in it. How could we possibly be hesitant? How could we possibly be ashamed to let people know about that great king and his great kingdom? And friends, if this is not happening in your personal life here in this place in Birmingham then you will fail to have the kind of enthusiasm that's needed to send people to other parts of the world too. It needs to be something in your experience that you see the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ and then your heart will be enlivened to serve the purposes of the gospel around the world. How can we be ashamed when we know that it has that kind of power under the hood? I love that. It lets me smile at a cashier and let her know I'm different. It makes me respond, and you have a blessed day too. No shame. No shame. Okay, so Paul says, I'm eager to go to Rome. And one reason for that is because mm, I have no shame. Because I know the gospel has power in it. 
But he goes one more step, and this one's so very important to us. So it's, it's, this is brilliant stuff here. Just reveals so much to us. He goes on, he says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile or the barbarian or the Greek, however you want to translate that, okay? The Jew first and then to the barbarian. Okay, let's unpack that just for a minute. It is a little bit of a history lesson. I don't know if this might surprise you to know this, but Jesus was Jewish, okay? His apostles were Jewish, thank you very much. Most of his early followers were Jewish. So the good news, that power of God into salvation, came first to the Jews, and then later it got to people like most of us here, pagans. Sorry, that's what you were, okay? what your ancestors are. You may be that still. I don't know. Okay, so it is a little bit of a history lesson, but there's also something else we need to see here, and that is that in the Apostle Paul's day, the Jews were very well prepared to hear about Jesus. Now, many rejected him, but they were prepared to hear about him. They knew the Bible. They had been taught the Bible. They knew what it was like to worship God. They knew when to stand up and sit down in a worship service. They called it synagogue, but it's kind of like church. It's like, they, what, why are you standing up now? Why are you sitting down? And they didn't have that question. They knew exactly what to do. They knew the difference between uh, a polite word and a vulgar word, and they would choose them very carefully. And so those are the kinds of people you would want their children. Well, you'd want their children in your youth group because they're well-behaved and They do the right thing, and maybe they're a better model than your own children. So maybe they can learn something from them. So they're the kinds of people you want around. You'd want them living next door to you because they don't drive their cars into your front yard, and they don't play the music loud at night and things like that. Okay, so the gospel is for such people. And a lot of you, just looking at you, and I know some of you too, a lot of you are, you know, you're like that yourself, aren't you? I mean, maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you never really rebelled greatly against things. At some point, you came to believe in Jesus yourself, and you're a nice person. I mean, anybody would like me around them, right? Well, the gospel is for people like that. So if you were raised in the church, if you know the Bible, if you know when to stand up and sit down in church, way to go. It's for you tremendous. I'm glad that's the kind of person I was, and for, except for just a little window when I rebelled in my teenage years. But here's what the apostle says. The good news is not just for people like that. The good news is also for, for the barbarian, the Greek, the Gentile pagan. Now, you've got to understand that in Paul's day, The Gentiles did not know the Bible. They didn't know that Moses came before David. Can you imagine people like that? Uh, They didn't know that the Bible promised that a Messiah would come one day and save the world. They never heard such a thing before. That's, That's a crazy idea. 
Where'd you get that idea? They didn't know the difference between polite words and vulgar words. That's, that's how much they didn't know about the true religion of the world. And their kids, whew, you wouldn't want them in your youth group. That's for sure. So the natural tendency, of course, would be to keep those people away and think, well, they're locked out. They're locked out. They're so bad they can never be reached by the gospel. But here's what the apostle is saying from his own experience of having reached out to Gentiles in his day. The good news is for them too. Some of you will remember the boxer Mike Tyson. Does anybody remember him? I know he's something of a has-been. Do you remember him? Would you raise your hand? Go ahead, confess. There you go, good. Okay, there's a little truth in the church after all. Mike Tyson, he was a fabulously powerful boxer. I can remember watching him one time uh, in a boxing match, and he hit a man like this, and he lifted the man off the canvas. I mean, it looked like he lifted him 12 inches off the canvas with just one punch. That's a strong arm. His arms were enormously strong. But he had a real disadvantage as a boxer. And the disadvantage was his arms were short. So he would be swinging in the air while his opponent would be hitting him in the head. And so he had to get real tight, I mean real tight, to reach his opponent. So tight that at some point he might have been tempted to bite the ear of his opponent or something. I don't know. He did that, if you don't know. That's a very famous event. That tight, that's how far, that's far he had to do. But here's the point, and that is he has strong arms, but if you have short arms, it doesn't do you much good. Well, the same would be true of the gospel. It's got the power of God in it, but if it's only for certain kinds of people who are well prepared to receive it, then uh, what's the big deal? But here's the big deal. It's not just for people like that. It's for the people you would never expect to believe. Okay, that's what it's for. It's for the alcoholic in your family that you just think is gone forever. It's for your wayward child that you think has gone so far away they'll never come back. It's for that grandchild. You can't even understand what the grandchild is saying, but you know it's not good. But it's for them too. And this is why we don't stop offering it to them. This is why we don't stop telling them about the king and his kingdom. It's because we know it can reach that kind of person too. There's no limit to the kinds of people that the good news of Jesus can reach. That's why this church does not simply support mission in Birmingham, but it's why it supports missions in Peru, in Africa, in Asia, in Iran. This is why. They're not beyond the reach of the good news of Jesus. The power can come to them too and transform them in ways that would make your head explode. In a room with this many people, I would venture to guess that there's somebody, if you're listening to me at this moment, who's saying to yourself, Richard, if you knew me, you would know it's, I'm too far away. No, you're not. Wait a minute, Richard. If you knew what I have done in my life, 
No, you're not too far away. Richard, if you knew my secrets, even my spouse doesn't know these secrets. If you knew them, you would say the good news is not for me. Let me tell you something. You're exactly the kind of person that the good news is for. It is for you. No one is so far away that the arm of Jesus in mercy and love cannot reach you. I can testify if Jesus can reach someone like me at the age of 17, and if he can hold on to me for all of these years like he has, he can reach anyone. And he can hold on to you with his tender love and his kindness for the rest of your life. And what do you have to do to enjoy that, to have that as your life? Come to him. Give your heart to him. Trust in him. Believe in him. And he will extend the power of God into your life too. Don't you want that? I became very sick a few years ago in Bali, Indonesia. Hard life I have, right, going to Bali. It was actually a hard life because I became so sick that um, later on the doctors told me that I was near death, okay? And I was in the home of a pagan, an American pagan in Bali who had become Buddhist and he was just anti-Christian, didn't know anything about Jesus. On and on the story went, but I got very, very sick. And I was lying passed out on his floor, and he walked in, couldn't believe what he was seeing, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he shook me like this, and he said, Richard, Richard. And I woke up a little bit, he says, brother, you're not going to make it. I've seen this before. You're not going to make it. And so I looked at him, and I said, it just came to my, just came automatically. I said, that's okay. I'm ready for this. And I passed out again. That was the last time I saw him. They finally got the ambulance to come. They took me to the hospital. I made it, obviously. Okay? But two weeks later, in Montgomery, Alabama, I get a phone call. And it's from Charlie in Bali. And he said, I can't get it out of my mind. Now, remember, this is about the most pagan person you would ever want to meet. I can't get out of my mind. What's that, Charlie? What are you talking about? He said, what you said. You said... I'm ready for this, meaning I'm ready to die, and I'm ready to die. He said, I couldn't get out of my mind. I just can't. And I said, well, Charlie, do you want to be ready to die? He said, yes, and I'm not ready. Tell me about it. And so I started off this way. I'm telling you that this works, okay? I'm telling you this is the message. I said, Charlie, let me tell you about your king. Let me tell you about the king of the world. And let me tell you about the kingdom he is bringing when he makes all things new. When all pain and suffering will be gone. When all injustice will be gone. When all shame will be gone. He's going to make everything new again. This is going to be his great kingdom. And I paused for a moment and I said, Charlie, do you want to be a part of that? 
There was silence on the phone. He's calling me from Bali, Indonesia. And he said, I want to be a part of that. Please. A week later, he was baptized. This is now nine years ago. He's the most transformed man I've ever met in my entire life. The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You know, there may be some things in your life, the thought of which just you don't want to do it, you just hate the thought of it. There may be some other things you're kind of neutral about, doesn't make that much difference. But this, this, the mission of the church, we should be eager to share with the world the good news of our king and his kingdom. Let's pray together. Our king Jesus, we bless you, we honor you. We give you the glory for it. Amen.